Hey everyone, this is Dean for Weird World, the podcast. I'm with Carrie, who doesn't have a microphone. Why don't you have a mic? Anyway, so today we bring you two stories that we didn't originally intend to put together, but both tell tales of tourism gone a little bit wrong. So the first comes from Alaska, the second from Canada. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Weird World podcast. My name is Carrie. I'm Dean. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm Jack. And I'm Dean. I think I know why that happened. We just did it once, and we went out of order, and I just found out there was an order, and I went second, so Jack thought he'd say my name second, so that's And I strange. just found out I'm, I'm not Dean. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Oh, that's funny. <sighs> okay. Well, Dean had to go last because he's the person who's going to be telling you a tale. Apparently mm-hmm. that's a thing. I just found out. It is. Okay. It's, it's f- uh, formal. I didn't know that. So today I'm going to tell you a tale of something really not so much weird as one of those amazing stories. It's like, wow, that really happened. It did. Wow. Are we going to say wow? You might. You might. <laughs> lame. Call McCune. M-C-C-U-N-N. So I'm going to call him McCune, even though it may be McCun. I don't know. That's just too dangerous. I'm going to call him McCune. <laughs> he was an American wildlife photographer born in Munich, Germany in 1946 because his father was... In the army. It was in the army, yes. He was a serviceman stationed there. His father was sent back to the U.S. when Carl was just a kid, so he was mostly raised in San Antonio, Texas. Was it Carl with a K or a C? Carl was with a C. He's American. He was yes. just in Germany. Yeah, it's a, it's a coincidence, Carrie. Don't don't get you don't you probably think he's what a Nazi or something, Carrie? I, I went to coincidence. High, I went to high school with Carl with K. Okay, but it, was his last name McCune? <gasps> no, I'm not going to say what his last name is. But it wasn't McCune. So it was not really that amazing. No, I'm going to say it, but we'll beep it out. Okay, Carl Kaiser. Ooh, oh, that's pretty German. That's too German. Both actually. K's. K- Danger K- German. Wow. Yeah. yeah. If his middle name was Kevin. He's a bad person. Yeah, and it's probably fitting. Let's just say that. Uh Uh-oh. All right. I said we don't beep it out. Okay, so (laughs) Carl, with a C, joined the Navy after dropping out of community college in, I think, 1964. He was there for five years, came out in 69, and by 1970, he had found his way up to Anchorage, Alaska, where he would live in the last frontier. Sorry, no one's ever no came to mind. Um, have you seen Alaska's flag? I think it's just the Big Dipper. It's weird. Is it really? Oh, I think so. <laughs> uh, I was, yes, I just played trivia crack and they, they oh tested on flags. Oh, jeez, it's a dumb game. I'm really sick of it. My grandfather lived in Alaska. Did he? Okay. Probably Anchorage. Probably most Alaskans live in Anchorage. Yeah, or nearby. yeah. I think it's like what is it? Like one in seven Alaskans live in Anchorage. I bet you more than that. At least in Metro Anchorage, I wouldn't be surprised. Anyway. Eventually, Carl found his way even further north into the truly wild places of Alaska. Nope. He tooled around the Brooks Range for five months in 1976. Scary. That's kind of in the middle of Alaska. It's, it's, I mean, it's remote. It's rugged. It's wild. It's elk and grizzlies and wolves and all that kind of thing up there. You need a, a sled dog. Snow dog. Well, he's going in the spring and summer. When oh, okay. It's green and nice, and it's it's fine. It's but it's a real wilderness. It's a place where Carl he would write later in his diary, "quote Humans are so out of their modern day element." It's almost you know he realized, "Wow, we shouldn't be here." But you know he was used to it. He was an experienced outdoorsman by this time. And again, he was 
kind of had become a, a kind of accomplished wildlife photographer. It, I don't think it didn't seem like it's how he made his living, but basically he would, you know, do odd jobs and things like that through the winter and I guess the fall to fund expeditions in the spring and summer out there shooting wildlife uh, pictures. So he was big guy, big fun loving guy. He was 6'2, 240. <laughs> That's 1.88 meters and 109 kilograms. Oh. From the vast majority how, of our audience. How many stone? I don't know. I don't do stone. Stone's hey. lame. Hey. How hands was tall was he? I mean, come on. He so he's just a, just a, a, a fun guy. He was he was supposed to be a cool dude. So in the spring of 1981, Carl set out on his latest adventure. He would be dropped off in a remote valley by a bush pilot and photograph the wildlife throughout the summer months. His chosen site was this big kind of meadow. It was near the confluence of the Colleen and the Porcupine Rivers. Oh, that sounds pretty. It does. I'm, it was beautiful. It was uh, about 225 miles, 362 kilometers, northeast of Fairbanks, which is kind of the only major city in central Alaska. It's a pretty good size. It's like a 30-something thousand people. It's a decent-sized city, but otherwise, yeah. this again, this is central Alaska. This is tundra country, kind of, mostly pretty open, kind of like a frozen savanna almost. I mean, there's, there's woodland and stuff thereby. But it was an unnamed valley in an unnamed lake. I mean, this is real Alaska here. You're very enamored with Alaska. Well, it is you? a pretty, I mean, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Did you know? Well, it is a pretty. We forget how massive Alaska is. Not we, I don't. Scary yeah. apparently does. <laughs> what? It's 600. I am aware of how massive Alaska is. State. How many square uh, miles is it? 600. Yeah, because I just said that. The, the thousand. I don't have 663,000 square miles. That's 1.72 million square uh, <laughs> kilograms, kilometers. That's two and a half Texases. That's too many. It's about four and a half Japans. Jeez. How it's many? Well, it's more than one and a half France's. I don't know if it's a real thing. <laughs> what? From east to west, or, or at its longest point across, that's about the same length as it is going from Savannah, Georgia to Los Angeles. It's no. The, it's like the, the 48 states wow. in, in length across it. It's huge. Because of the islands. Yeah, it has, it has the panhandle there. Oh, you go okay. way up to the north. But still, if you, even if it's diagonalist, it's a, it's a massive place. Did and you he, say it's, it's more than two, how many Texases? Texases. Two and a half Texases. But only one and a half Frances? Frances is, France is apparently a bigger country than you thought. <laughs> yeah, that's the most amazing part of this. I didn't realize France was <laughs> that big. It's not that big. <laughs> I well, mean, it's less than the size bigger of, than Texas. At least that's what I read. You know what? That doesn't make sense. No, actually. it doesn't. <laughs> Wait, let me look. I should look that up because I, I I read that, but I'm not, that doesn't quite ring true. Four and a half Japan's. France is a good sized country. So anyway, well, well, Jack's <laughs> looking that up. Carl flew into this unnamed valley by this unnamed lake, and he unpacked. He told the pilot to pick him up in early August. That's about when the the summer in, the, in this far north would start to, to wane a little bit. It's not the technical end of summer by any means, but he said, let's be safe. Pick me up in early August, and I'll get back to civilization. So Carl waved as a little plane disappeared, and he surveyed his, his temporary world he'd be living in for the next few months. He was very well provisioned. He brought along 500 rolls of film, Oof. and he had 1,400 pounds, 640 kilograms, of provisions. He had... Two rifles, he had a shotgun, but he wasn't there to hunt. You know, he had plenty of food, so he wasn't there to hunt. The guns were mainly for protection, because this is a place where there were grizzlies, there were packs of wolves, so he brought Oof. along the weapons just in case. And since he really wouldn't need them, 
and feeling a bit dumb that he even brought them, he dumped five boxes of shotgun shells in the river next to his campsite. Just because. Well, that's not a very environmentally friendly thing yeah. to do. Yeah, you're right. That's true. Poison the fish with yeah. gunpowder. Uh, also, France is about 2.6 times smaller than Alaska. Oh, it was way off. Yeah. One and a half, I said, right? Based on the so, square mileage. Huh, okay. So, so I don't know what figures so how many they were going France's off. How of? would it take to make an Alaska? About 2.6. Okay, yeah, yeah. So about the same as Texas. So about France the same, was the same yeah. size as Texas. All right. Oh, Wasn't that far off? Then yeah, I said one. I half, didn't think France was even the size of Texas. But well, there you go. Yeah. Now you know. Yeah. So Carl does his thing in the Great White North for a while. He's capturing the wildlife of one of the world's great last frontiers. July flips to August on the calendar, and Carl realizes, huh, the plane's a little bit late. Uh-oh. Interesting. At first, he figures no big deal. The landing spot is really near his campsite. campsite. He couldn't possibly miss the plane if it, when it flies by. Still, he's getting a little worried, Carl is, because as the first week in August comes to an end, a little thought invades his brain like a worm. He thinks, just what did I tell that pilot about picking me up? What? How, how firm were those plans when he left? Are you kidding? Wait. This would be the most important detail of your entire trip, Carl. Carl kept a diary. At this point, he wrote, quote, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure. I'll soon find out. Oh, my God. Also, but also, the pilot wouldn't remember and be yeah. like, well, you know, maybe I should go back and check on him. <laughs> In Uh-oh, truth, that's scary. the pilot would later say that he, the pilot, had been quite clear with Carl. The pilot said that he told Carl he might get a job and be working in Anchorage by oh, later part of the summer. So apparently later part of the summer in Alaska is early August because he said that um, he, he had told Carl, I'm not sure I'll be able to pick you up because of this job in Anchorage, and that, Carl, you should better have a backup plan because it might not be, be me. Carl did not have a backup plan. Carl thought he had told the pilot to pick him up in early August. But wait, the investigators said to the pilot later on, they said, didn't Carl give you money to fix your plane? Because he had. He'd given him money and fly me out there. The pilot said, yeah, no, he gave me money. I fixed my plane to fly him out there, not to go back and pick him up. Okay, well, motherfucker, just go pick him up. Or are we talking five years after the fact? No, we're talking early August. He, the pilot, by this time is in Anchorage working at his job. He, Carl, he, he's told Carl he would have a backup plan. So he assumed Carl had a backup plan. I'm assuming his job isn't brain surgery. He can take a day off. It's an airplane. He can fly it. Carrie, this is just something that you casually discuss. Like, which parent is going to pick up the child in the soccer game? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> apparently, this? apparently. It's in 1981. Maybe he's the only pilot able to deliver no, the diphtheria no, no, no. antitoxin Ooh, maybe, to no. the small Barrow Alaskan children. So is that something that actually had in 1981, and that's why you asked what year this that was? Or no. Because that would be pretty impressive. <laughs> Honestly. That, was that the diphtheria outbreak of Alaska of 81? I don't think. I'm not far off. <laughs> was there diphtheria? There absolute Balto. That's all I gotta Carrie, say. Balto. I rest my case. Yeah, but I thought that was like in the fifties. I thought that was in the twenties. It was earlier. <laughs> I, I have no I'm idea. I'm just saying. I know it things. exists. 
Did, did we ever? We left. We. I'm sure we didn't pick up a kid from somewhere many multiple times. Oh, this mom, me from preschool. Yes. Yeah. How about did we ever leave him at a soccer game? No. no. I feel like they're always there. Have. I feel like yeah. we must have. Okay. No. Well, anyway, this is how this is how casual that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should. Be. Well, he's me at preschool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Except he's in Alaska with winter coming. Yeah, and Jackie, you just told me that you enjoyed your time alone with your preschool teacher. So yeah, I mean, that sounds gross, but that sounds creepy. That, yeah, <laughs> you made it sound a lot worse. Creepy. Why did you ruin that? It wasn't. It was sweet because he got to use his staple remover to remove staples out of the wall. <laughs> that sounds like fun. And as a four-year-old, I was excited. It, it was high school, but anyway. <laughs> No worries, though, thought Carl as August got a little bit older. He said, I have friends and family. They'll realize I'm missing and inquire. Wait, right? how, how far is he from Fairbanks? You said that was the closest town. It's 225 miles away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nowhere near. Closest Fairbanks. big town. Uh, probably not walkable. You, gotta, you know, you got to pinpoint it somehow, and that's how. Oh By the God. middle of August, Carl had come to the stark realization that he had miscommunicated with the pilot and that he would not, the pilot would not be returning to get him out of, of a part of Alaska that, as I mentioned, was just not friendly to lone humans through a long, brutal winter. Yeah. So he made you a plan. You better. Ugh. He began to ration his provisions, and he augmented his food supply by shooting small game, like muskrats and ducks. He even found a caribou carcass that had died in the river that's near his yeah. campsite. He found it, and he dried some of the meat. Yeah, he killed it with the bullets that he put in the river. Maybe, ha. maybe. Yeah, actually, I didn't and know about that. And now he only 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 has half a dozen bullets and I don't know, half a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> he put five ca- five boxes of shotgun shells in the in the uh, river. I know. How he has, many, he's how, a rifle too. He's how a, many did he save? Is what I'm saying. No half a dozen. Half a oh dozen. God, <laughs> half would be dumb. Still, he kept thinking, okay, someone is gonna come get me. Someone will look into it. He wrote copiously in his diary. His entry at this point was, quote, certainly someone in town should have figured something must be wrong, me not being back by now. <laughs> but then again, there's probably no one in town who gives a blank. It literally says blank. I don't know if those magazines must have been shit. Quote, what in the hell do these people think I gave them maps of my camp location for? Decoration? <laughs> ah, he's got a little bit of a sense of humor about he it. Has, yeah, he really does. He could also be kind of rueful. So, like Carrie said, he like those damn shotgun shells he had tossed yeah. into the river because he thought he wouldn't need them. He's like, stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid. Yeah. He wrote, quote, I keep thinking of all the shotgun shells I threw away about two months ago. I had five boxes. When I kept s- seeing them sitting there, I felt rather silly for having brought so many. Felt like a warmonger. So I threw all away. But about a dozen, real bright. Who would have known I might need them just to keep from starving? See how smart I am? You're very smart. So it wasn't about poisoning the wildlife. He could use those to keep himself alive. Well, I know that, obviously. Oh, my God. He was clearly getting worried. By mid-August, he wrote, come on, please, don't leave me hanging and fretting like this. I didn't come out here for that. (laughs) 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 Oh, my goodness. Don't eat the beans. (sighs) But help was not on the way. Yes, he had given maps with his campsite clearly marked to two friends and his father, Donovan, who lived in San Antonio. But he had never been clear on timing or his itinerary, and he had actually gone missing before. Hmm. His father, for instance, only knew that he was going to be out there during the summer taking photographs of wildlife in this super remote part of central Alaska. He had not told his father when he returned exactly, and he had never told his father to you know, see to his retrieval. Yeah. He, just, he just knew. He just sent him a map, said, hey, I'm going to be out here during the summer. 
doing my wildlife photography. See, Jack, this is why it's important you tell your mother where you are. At um, all no, time. this is important. And this when, is why it's when, important you don't go out into the fucking unnamed <laughs> lake into an unnamed valley in the middle of Alaska. Yeah, the fact that uh, that both the valley and the lake are unnamed that's a that's a bad yeah. sign. At least I the rivers are named. We need to call it Carl Valley and Lake Carl. No, now. no, 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 no. <laughs> like he idea. does not deserve that. This wow. idiot. Come on, be nice. He's an idiot. Worse, Sorry. Worse still, <laughs> Carl had told his father that he might remain in the bush a little longer than he expected to if conditions allowed. So don't be concerned yeah. if I'm not back by late summer. Worser still, that's a word. <laughs> might as well be. Exactly the scenario had occurred a few years ago. Carl had been late back from the expedition. His father had called the police. Oh. Carl was super embarrassed because he was just delaying his return. And he was kind of actually angry about the whole brouhaha with the police being called. And he had actually, at the time, he told his, fa- his dad, don't do that again. Don't call the police <laughs> if I'm late. I hate okay, this, Okay, this man. is like the perfect storm. <laughs> really of, I mean, I wouldn't believe it if it's true. you weren't alleging it was true. It's, very, it's all true, trust me. <laughs> I read a New York Times article from, from the time, from the, the, this exact time. So what about his friends, right? He'd, remember, he had sent the maps to two friends. All of his friends knew where he was and what he was doing. It seemed somehow they had gotten in, in their heads that Carl was already back from his trip, and he was in a town called Paxson. It's a town between Fairbanks and Anchorage. And he was there just working like he usually did in off-season to save up money for his next expedition. So no one knows exactly how this happened. But somehow his friend's like, yeah, didn't Carl come back? He's in Paxson, right? Yeah, he's back. Don't worry about him. Yeah. It's, un- it's unclear. Somehow that came to be what they thought happened. Huh. See, this Police. is men, men. They don't... They don't- Talk to people. Yeah. They don't yeah, they keep in touch. Someone will take care of it and for yeah. me. Suddenly, Carrie turned to turned into a man thing. Well, <laughs> if you didn't, who, who who would miss you if you didn't contact them? <laughs> Literally, me, nobody. Who, I me? mean, except your family, me personally, okay. yes. and friends. People would go, yeah. What friends? I don't people, ah! Friends would go like, "Where's Dean been for a few months?" Oh. I understand that, but they're not. They wouldn't think go to retrieve you yeah <laughs> if they knew you were out in the middle of nowhere they might be a little concerned but they, again they thought he was back yeah they thought he'd ended his trip and come back already and he likes to disappear yes he does yeah also, he did this a lot none of your friends would be expecting a call when you got back that's true so that, i'm not a great you know. communicator <laughs> no, yes <laughs> case in point <laughs> so some friends though did actually finally become a bit concerned and so they asked the authorities to make I guess what serves like an Alaskan wellness check. Like go fly uh, everywhere. At the, um, at the unnamed yes. valley. Yeah, remember well, they, they knew exactly where it was. I know. And so okay. an Alaskan state trooper named Dave Hamilton flew over Carl's campsite in late August. So again, he's, Oh, okay. He's, so that's not too long. Yeah, it's not. I mean, he's, he's, he's fine. He hopefully, still has plenty oh, of stuff. I was going to say, hopefully he's still alive. It's, way it's to ruin the been less than a month. <laughs> what? I said way to ruin the suspense there. No, he's, yeah, he is. He uh, was running out of food, sure, and he's running low on ammunition by this point. So this seeing that plane fly over was a godsend. The plane flew right over his campsite there in the meadow by the river. So Carl thinks, okay, at last I'm slay, I'm saved. <laughs> so he calmly waved his orange sleeping bag over his head to signal that I need help. Yeah. So he waves it over his head. The problem was, for the pilot, the sleeping bag wave was a little too casual. The pilot decided that it had just been maybe a friendly hello, or even worse, I'll tell you in a second, 
that in, he did not interpret it as a call for help. He passed over a second time, and he's just kind of slowly waving the sleeping bag again, and then on the, the guy, I mean, I guess the pilot is thinking this guy in the middle of the wild Alaska nowhere in late August is fine. He doesn't need help. On the third pass over, the trooper saw Carl slowly walking back to his tent. And he's thinking, okay, well, you know, that's, he's fine. He's just, he's just going back what, to his tent. Why couldn't he land? Uh, he, he didn't have, it wasn't the kind of uh, plane that could land. So, uh, and, what? you know, he figures... Wait, Carl, <laughs> Carl. In hindsight, Carl probably was. I'll tell you. No, a second. no, 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 no. no it was, you, it you couldn't land. You can't let that sentence go. It couldn't land. I'll tell you in a second. I'll tell you in a second. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't the kind of plane that could land. <laughs> the plane that stays in the air twenty four seven. It's like those SpaceX refueled. rockets that just explode on reentry. It couldn't land in that <laughs> terrain. Meadow, in that terrain, yeah. Yes. Something like that. I forgot. Then I think he brought the wrong plane. Probably so. Yeah. Well, he was going to look for him and see if he needed help. Okay. <laughs> how do you determine that unless you land? I know. So anyway, the trooper, the trooper well, figure. Apparently. So he's thinking. I mean, option A, that's um, you know, just a guy going to pack his stuff up because he's been saved at last. Or it's a guy who doesn't need any help and he's just fine. Yeah. The trooper went for option B. Why? That he was <sighs> quote on the third pass. This is from the, this is from the pilot. On the third pass, he turned and walked back toward the tent, slowly, casually. We surmised there was no immediate danger or need for emergency aid. Why? Okay, how would yeah. he have signaled that he needed emergency aid? I'll tell you a second. Lim- Apparently. Limpid? <laughs> fall, fall into the ground? A big oh, SOS. <laughs> I would totally get a rock SOS out in the meadow there, yeah. At first, Carl was befuddled, quoting it from his diary. Unfortunately... The airplane was on wheels and couldn't land, so I stopped waving after its first pass. I'm not 100% oh. sure what that means. I don't know if it needed to be, because it wasn't snowy yet, so I'm not positive what yeah. he meant by that. Maybe there, it needed to be able to land in the water, because there wasn't so, anything yeah, on land. Those, um, yeah, because he had a lake nearby and the yeah. river there, too. I think that probably is it. needed the, um, the floaty thingies, yeah. the floaty water thingies, yeah. right? Water skis. So it was not skis. that kind of plane, and I, the meadow was too rough for it to land. So... Quote, again, from the, from the diary, I then got busy packing things up and getting ready to break camp. Honestly, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I would have been done that it's probably exactly at the doing. beginning of so August. He, he waves. He sees the plane sees him. He, he's casually walking to his tent to pack his stuff up because yeah. he's rescued. Quote, as sunset approached, I began to doubt if the pilot took me serious. <laughs> ah. I certainly hope he didn't think that my having stopped waving meant I thought he might have been someone else at first or something. So he's... A little freaked out here. Yeah. This has been hours now. The pilot didn't. So presumably the pilot spots him. He thought, okay, they'll send someone back with the kind of plane that can land and save me. But right. it's been hours and hours. And he's realizing, shit, maybe, you know, he misinterpreted my wave. But then he came to the horrific realization. Here's from Carl's diary. I recall raising my right hand, shoulder high, and shaking my fist on the plane's second pass. It was a little cheer, like when your team scored a touchdown or something. Oh, yeah. Turns out that's the signal for all okay, do not wait. It's certainly my fault I'm here now, exclamation point. Man, I can't believe it. I really feel like a klutz. Now I know why nobody's shown up from that incident. So that was days later he realized my, my fist shake, shake, and who knew? That was the everything's fine, move on here. That sounds fake. That's what he wrote Tell in his what? diary. I know, but his diary sounds fake. It's not a fake. <laughs> yeah. Why are you so obsessed? Trust me, it's a real story. This is not a fake diary. This happened. 
Okay. He just, just sounds just stupid. Move on past that. That's all right. I ha- I am entitled to my opinion. You are. And you, that is what okay, it is. Okay. So Carl figured he'd better really dig in for the winter. That this is that was it. That was the last chance at being saved. I had told them to move on. I'm going to have to survive the winter out here. Well, that's not going to happen. Why not? Ah! He's a resourceful guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, what's he going to eat for the winter? Well, he's been killing rabbits and muskrats, Carrie. Does that dry out me? Come on, man. Fortune found him also then when he was digging a trench. He's, so he digs a trench to build, I guess, a warmer, fortified yeah. Yeah. To, to a habitat, I guess. Good right? idea. As he's digging that little trench, he finds a little cache of rabbit snares, some extra supplies, and even some bits of candle. Oh, hey. So now he's got some rabbit snares, Carrie. Wow. Rabbits are out there. Quote, it's been a terrible day for me, and I won't go into it. Hands getting more frostbitten every day. Have only one meal of beans left. Honestly, I'm scared for my life, but I won't give up. Okay, so, so it's that getting bad. It's getting bad. stupid pilot mm-hmm. knew he was there in late August yeah. and doesn't ever bother to find out if somebody else was going to get him or... No. <sighs> Carl said, I mean, people, you know, there are wilderness people out there in Alaska. That's a thing. Apparently, he thought he's one of those. <laughs> so it, the, the weather had turned really, as you can tell from that last quote, the weather had turned very cold. Summer was being replaced by fall, and fall in interior Alaska is extremely harsh. They didn't, he didn't bring winter gear. Not really, no. Snow started falling. The lake froze over. So that means no more ducks. They're gone. No more muskrat. The lake's full. Probably even no more fish. I don't know if he's fishing or not, but. Yeah, ice fish. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> his rabbit snares so he, he took the rabbit snares and he put them out but they were being raided by wolves and foxes Yikes. so he wasn't yeah. getting them well you, what you can do kill the wolves and foxes hey 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 you that's know, extreme I wouldn't but better not he would he seems like an idiot and no an no he's a good guy uh, maybe Stupid, so in November Carl had almost run out of food he thought about trying to walk out of the valley. Yeah. Maybe he could make it to Fort Yukon. It's only about 75 miles away. Oh, hey. 121 kilometers. I, I, might, I might have tried that in September. Yeah. <laughs> tried that in mid-August. I would have tried that weeks. Carl realized, though, at this point, that was not going to work. He did not have nearly enough food left to, to last that trip. He was already half-starved. He was weak. And by now, the snow had set in. And he realized it'd be excruciatingly slow going, even if he did have enough supplies. Mm. He, he knew pretty quickly he would never make the trip, so he didn't try. Quote, I'm frightened my end is near. If things get too miserable, I've always got a bullet around, but think I'm too chicken for that. Besides, that may be the only sin I've never committed. Another quote. <laughs> I know. What? He was, he's a diarist. Quote, I'm burning the last of my emergency Coleman light and just fed the fire... The last of my split wood. When the ashes cool, I'll be cooling along with them. <laughs> Unavoidably, though, Carl, he did let the worst creep into his mind. He said, quote, if my body has been eaten or if it turns out I take my own life, just put me under a tree so I can at least make a decent meal for some critter. I don't want my family to see me that way. They'll be hurt enough as it is. Yeesh. Thanksgiving. So it's late November. On November 26th, when he should have been tucking into a fat turkey, instead he was starving. He was every day he was chilled. He'd wake up chilled to the bone, yeah. freezing and shivering, and he started to have these dizzy spells. And very soon they became constant almost. So a few days later, Carl gathered up the last remnants of his supplies and he built a 
roaring fire. It was not until January that Carl's friends, apparently realizing he was not in Paxson, became a tad worried. <laughs> God. They finally alerted the police again, and the authorities they said, wait, he's still not back? But our trooper said he was fine. So the authorities reinitiated another search in January. Good God. It was not until February 2nd, 1982, that a plane with multiple state troopers in it landed at that unnamed lake in that unnamed valley, and they trucked over to Carl's campsite. They found his tent right where it was supposed to be, and it was zipped up tight. So they cut their way in with knives, and there they found the starved and frozen body of Carl McCune and a hundred pages of loose leaf diary by his side. He was busy. I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Carl had decided he was not starved to death and he'd go out on his own terms. So he killed himself by putting one of his last bullets into his head from his rifle. Quote, dear God in heaven, please forgive me my weakness and my sins. Please look over my family. He had a letter. He wrote a separate letter, separate from his diary. And he told his father that how he gave him instructions how to develop his 500 rolls of film. He asked that all the stuff be given to his dad or whoever found him, alternatively. He figures it's only fair that the person who found him should take his rifle and his shotgun. Quote, should I crazily attempt walking out in my condition and am nowhere to be found? Please carry out the above, which was his will. I kindly thank whoever may do so. The idea is me, Natch. <laughs> he left his driver's license on his um, person. <laughs> oh, my God. This is when he's about to, to kill himself. Yeah. So he did keep, I mean, he kind of kept his sense of humor until the bitter end. <sighs> he was found with his Alaska driver's license and did that final note pinned to his jacket in his tent. Just before his suicide, he wrote in his diary, I chickened out once already, but I don't want to go through the chills again. They say it doesn't hurt. Meaning, I think a bullet in his head. Huh. I was going to say, I, I, somewhere I think I have read or heard that freezing to death. He may have meant freezing. Uh, yeah. Isn't super painful, that it's kind of yeah. peaceful. But he's also starving, and the chills were, were brutal. Yeah. So he thought that was fine. I, 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 huh. He took a quicker way out. He was in the last odd little codicil to this. A state trooper who had spoken to Carl before in the spring, before he'd gone up there, he would later say that he had helped Carl pick out that campsite back in the spring, right? He said, the trooper said he had pointed out a hunting cabin five miles from the campsite. So like eight kilometers, an easy walk, even in September or so, before before the snows really came in. So why didn't he make for that campsite as soon as he realized that he'd not be picked up? Or at least as soon as the weather started to turn, he realized, yeah. okay, if I don't get to shelter, I'm yeah. a goner. At least he didn't have a lot of food, it's true. But at least with shelter, he would Still, solve one yeah. of his most severe problems. And maybe there was supplies there, there or yeah. maybe some, somebody might uh, be there or yeah. more chance of being found there. I, I have to assume he just thought... They're going to come looking for me. They're going to come looking. I better be here, here when they come looking. But he could have to know I went to the, the right. cabin five miles away. But So that state trooper was baffled. He didn't understand it. He thought he should have gone to that cabin and have a better chance of surviving. Okay, did anybody go back and interview two, those two pilots? See how they feel? I'm sure they feel terrible. And, and did the pilot really make it that explicit? He might not pick him up. We'll never know. Yeah. That's his story. Only Carl knows different if, the, if it is different. Yeah. So, but I mean, the state trooper did apparently interpret that 
this shake as he's okay. Yeah, that's irresponsible. I kind of agree. You need to actually talk to the person. Well, he couldn't land, but what he should have done is said, yeah, you know, he shook his fist, but let's still send a plane back there to talk to him. It was stupid to bring a plane that couldn't land. That's true also. What was he going to do if he needed help? Wave to him and say, hang tight. Someone will be back here in a couple hours. In sign language, done that I don't anyway. know. But that is the wow story Good of God, Carl McCune, Carl. the accidental tourist. Carl's I like to call it. <laughs> I don't be too harsh with Carl. I'm gonna be. He well, he didn't hurt anybody but himself. No, he didn't. He so. didn't hurt anybody. Well, except for all the fish in that river no, that he poisoned okay, with that's five true. boxes of ammunition. <laughs> you know what? The river's fine. It's a big river. You don't know that. Yeah. What are Ecosystems bullets made are out sensitive. of? Sensitive. Lead. These were shotgun shells, but yes, they'd be lead in them. Yeah. Yeah. You guys calm down. Don't <laughs> I will not. be a little more forgiving for Carl. Um, no, because there were, seems like there are multiple opportunities for him to have backup plans and contingency yeah. plans, and he just well, neglected yes. to do all of that. Be super, super, super clear who's going to pick you up mm-hmm. in August. Don't yes. leave that to, if you had, if you did write later in your diary, huh? Was I completely clear about that? Then you weren't. Yes. Nope. And that's that's the single most important thing you and the pilot talk about. I think Carl was a little by the seat of his pants kind of he guy. He was. Yes, and he was. Yeah. He was a free spirit. Yeah. He was Which an again, adventurer. So, He's like a modern adventurer. Yeah. He went out to very remote, rugged parts of our planet. And notice he was out there filming our, uh, wildlife, not shooting it. I applaud that. Yeah, sure. I like Carl, and I... I on his side. Oh, what happened to his plan okay. <laughs> to give some animal a good meal? By why didn't he shoot himself under a tree? Probably should have done that. Yep, he's probably too weak to walk out by this point. He, really? he was starving to death. His his corpse was emaciated. Oh, wouldn't have been a very good meal anyway. No, yeah, I guess not, not much. Not much meat on the bones anymore by then. Huh. Yikes! It's, it's remarkable. He he lived as long as he did. Yeah, he lived to almost the end of November. That's a little horrifying. Yes, I thought it might be, so I thought I'd share it with everyone. Fucking Carl. <laughs> the, the feel good episode. Of <laughs> it the- is the feel good <laughs> episode. That was the story of Carl McCune. Hope you enjoyed it? Mm-hmm. Question mark. Okay, that was our first story from Alaska. When I said at the front that it was a tale of tourism gone a little wrong, I was maybe underselling that a little bit, as you just now heard. This one, I'm not going to lie about it. It goes terribly, terribly wrong. But it's still a pretty fascinating story. This is the story of Atsumi Yoshikubo, who took a trip to Canada to see the Northern Lights and never returned. Okay, so on October seventeenth, okay. two thousand fourteen, Japanese woman named Atsumi Yoshikubo, she checked into the Explorer Hotel in Yellowknife. That's the big city in Canada's Northwest Territories. Population about twenty thousand, so it's a sprawling metropolis. Is it Yell? And then knife as in cut the yellow cheese knife. with the knife? Oh. Yellow knife. Yellow knife. The color, yellow knife. Yes. Got it. I, I think we should cut out Carrie saying cut the cheese. That was just the meaning. I feel like. Yeah, you know, phrasing. I could have said phrasing. cut the bread. Okay, that, you probably should have. You probably should have. You're not even drinking. What's happening? I don't know. She was there to see the Aurora Borealis. Oh. The Northern Lights one of the great natural wonders of the world, on October 24th. So a week later, the hotel realized Atsumi had not checked out. 
They think, well, shouldn't she have? They check, say, yep, she should have. So a staff member went to Asumi's room to check up on her. They did not find her there. They did, however, find all of her luggage and her return ticket to Japan. Mm. Hotel security camera footage showed Atsumi exiting the hotel in the late morning of October 22nd. So two days earlier. Exactly. After that, poof, she's vanished. There's no Uh sign of her. The authorities search, but they find nothing. Atsumi Yoshikubo has disappeared. The story became an immediate media sensation. A witness, turns out, saw that local news coverage of this strange disappearance of a Japanese tourist, and she remembers seeing an Asian woman walking along a trail outside Yellowknife, really a road outside Yellowknife on the northern end of the city. She was pretty sure it was the 22nd. She wasn't completely sure because she went up to that area quite often, and she thought it was around noon or so. She thought it was a bit weird at the time, but kind of none of her business, and she went on her way. So now, she, so five days later, she reports it to the authorities. Wait, what was the woman doing? She just, she just, um, I don't know. She she walked the trail, or in this case, I, she's driving by her. So she went out in that area of Yellowknife frequently. No, but why did she think it was weird that she saw her? What was she doing? Uh, just a lone, fairly clearly tourist woman walking yeah. away from Yellowknife on already the outskirts of the town where it quickly becomes wilderness. Oh, okay. Not that long after. She's okay. a little odd. She was, I mean, she's dressed in a park and a, and a knit cap hat, so she didn't think she was, she didn't think too much about it, but didn't think that every business to intercede, so she went on her way. The Royal Canadian Mountain Police, RCMP, investigated immediately. And by the way, this is a message to Canada. Just so you know, Americans think that the RCMP is what? Dudley like, do right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> we, we just think of it, this must be some obsolete force of guys on horses and red uniforms yeah. and ranger hats, yeah. and they save damsels tied to railways, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, or something like that. That's, that's you know, you don't think. Now, RCMP is basically is Canada's, like, Scotland Yard or FBI. It's their national investigative police force, in fact, law enforcement agency. They're modern, sophisticated they investigate federal cases throughout Canada. They're not Dudley Do Right. Well, I want to correct something. I didn't really think they were all like Dudley Do Right. No, but I don't so. think. Do, did you realize they're effectively, essentially, the FBI of Canada? Yeah. And they wear suits because they're not, a Royal Canadian. They're not. Okay, not that they're from Canada, but that they're equivalent no, to. Yes, I understand that. All right. But we wouldn't call the LAPD. You know. Yes. I assume they have. Okay. Municipal police departments yes, of course and stuff like do. that too. Yes, so. yes, 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 yeah. yes. But you thought they still had horses, right? No, I, I didn't. I kinda, I'm sure some of them do in hope some they places. Do. I sure hope they do. I'll bet you the the Mounties in Saskatchewan have Saskatchewan. <laughs> You're picking on Saskatchewan. You know Saskatchewan has big cities and gleaming skyscrapers, and, and they also have mountains and woods and that's stuff true. like that, right? I bet so. you they have snowmobiles and not uh, horses. Yeah, that's my guess. Hmm. Anyway. The RCMP searched the vast area, which is mostly taiga, which is kind of a frozen, think frozen tundra. It's very forested, but there's patches. It's forested in areas, kind of more of a frozen plain in other parts of it. It's not the kind of place for a tourist to be on her own. So if Atsumi had got lost out there in her search to see the northern lights, she would be in trouble. Okay. After nine days, though, the RCMP called off the search. Seems quick, doesn't it? 
Well, it, no, it doesn't. It doesn't? I thought it did. Nine it was. Days? It was considered quick at the time. Really? Because at least immediately they, they didn't say why, but it turns out that they had been coordinating with, with the Japanese police uh-huh. from the jump, the beginning. They, and at now at nine days later, the Japanese police informed them that they had made a discovery. They thought they knew what had happened to Atsumi. So uh-huh. let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Atsumi, let's, let's learn about her. She was a doctor of psychiatry. Oh. She was from Uto, a city in Kyushu, Kyushu, which is the southernmost major island of the Japanese archipelago. She ran a clinic there. But it was kind of a, a little bit, it's a backwater. It's not a big city. So she had been job hopping for a while. She was trying to get to so a better job in a big city and apparently frustrated in these efforts. I have a question. Yes. Does Japan have nationalized healthcare system? I don't know. I don't think, I mean, no, not in the sense that everything, everybody works for the government. Right. No, okay. I'm pretty sure that's not, I'm almost certain that's not true. Okay. So, and she, I, I think she ran her own clinic. There was literally the Yoshikubo clinic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. She was okay. 45 years old at the time that she took this trip to Canada. Okay. Japanese tourists are drawn to Northern Canada. Really? Folklore tells how a child in Japanese folklore Japanese folklore tells how a child conceived under the northern lights will have good luck and like good health throughout their life turns out this is actually not true this <laughs> was a joke on a northern exposure episode of the TV show that took place in Alaska oh my god many in the what 90s 80s late 80s 90s I want to say 90s I don't know I don't know when it Something started like but still it is true that Japanese tourists flock to Yellowknife, Yellowknife and the Northern Territories to see the lights. They are fascinated by the Aurora Borealis. And also that part, it's, easy, it's sort of a flatter and easier terrain to travel in than someplace like Alaska, where it's more mountainous and a little, little more difficult to, to walk around in, or maybe Scandinavia, we can also see the Aurora Borealis, yeah. Borealis but that's much further away. So Northwest Territories are a very popular Japanese tourist destination. And 20% of tourists heading for Yellowknife are from Japan. Wow. And so many of the restaurants there will actually publish their menu in English and Japanese. Japanese. Wow. Probably French too. Yeah. That's interesting. It is. I didn't know that. There's a, there's a long-term tourist trade there from Japan. Atsumi traveled to Yellowknife alone. Now, she often did travel alone. Uh, authorities would find out later, so this wasn't very unusual, but it is, uh, for her at least, but it is unusual for Japanese tourists. They almost always, right. mean, 95% of the time, they well, travel with a group. Most tourists do. But especially Japanese tourists specifically to go, you know, uh, Northwest Territories, yeah. they're almost always in a group. Uh, do we know if she's married, children, any of that kind she's of stuff? She's not married, I don't think, she didn't have any children. Okay. She made her travel arrangements through a Toronto tourism firm called John View. I just wanted to mention that because it's, it's called John V. It's a weird name. <laughs> so she left for Canada on October 17th in 2014. She booked into the Explorer Hotel when she got there, which is the biggest hotel in Yellowknife, by the way, and she intended to stay about a week. It was late in the season, though, when she got there. I mean, this, is, this is mid and going to be late October. Yeah. So when she goes down, she starts inquiring about booking a spot. I guess they have some big buses. They'll take you out to the wilderness. You see the lights. You take your pictures, you ooh and ah, and you go back. They had stopped that by then. 
it was the, oh. the peak season was over and they weren't doing any more tours anymore, any more of these bus tours anymore. They had basically shut down for the season. I mean, maybe she should have Googled that. I don't know. Hmm. But, and it's also the Northern Lights by this time aren't that impressive anymore. Okay. They've That's what I was going to ask you. Okay. Yeah. Apparently they've kind of, I guess they're, they're bigger in the spring and summer, apparently, or at least more visible huh. and more active. They've sort of faded by this time of the year. And also it's, there might be some, it's not yet snowy enough typically for dog sledding, which by the way is another very popular reason Japanese tourists go to Canada. But there was enough snow on the ground to make walking the trails around the city potentially dangerous. Yeah. They can become icy or you can just lose the trail in, in yeah, snow. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also mid to late October now, so it's going to get colder and colder every single n- night. This is not the heart of the summer when most of the tourism are, are coming. Tourists are coming. Again, she was alone, which is very was very unusual. And when she got to Canada itself, she really kept herself to herself. She didn't talk to people. She didn't mingle people, which is also unusual. Usually, Japanese even if Japanese tourists come in a small group, they tend to be very social. They tend to kind of kind of sort of you know cling to or hook up with another group and um, go out and do tourism things together. Sure, but people are people, and you can't say just because she's Japanese, she for sure. It was, it, it, was, it was rare enough, though, to be seen as unusual. Yeah. And she really did sort of keep to herself and stay out of sight even huh. to, for the most part. She really just wasn't hanging out with anybody or doing anything kind of social things at all. Yeah. On October 19th at Sumi went to a store called the Midnight Sun, and it was like a trinket store. It sold souvenirs and trinkets and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's an old town. Yellowknife. If you've been there, you know what that means. I don't. <laughs> the old part of Yellowknife. The part that I'd like, I think, Probably is what that so. look meant. I think you would like that. <laughs> Let's go antiquing. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> there, the security cameras at this store caught her wandering through the store and picking out some items to purchase. So she's buying some souvenirs. Uh, they could see that she was alone and that she was wearing a kind of a dark pink knit cap Black pants, white shoes, and a kind of a hot pink parka type jacket. So she's, she's dressed appropriately yeah. for the for rigid weather. She was also alone later that day when she went, she was spotted, and I think on security camera as well, at the Tourism Information Center there. So she at least she made two stops there on the 19th. She then disappears for two more days. No one sees her. No security footage captures her. We don't know what she's doing or where she was or if she even left her room. But on the morning of October 22nd, so three days after her little foray into the souvenir shop, hotel cameras do catch her leaving the lobby. And she's wearing the exact same outfit that she'd been wearing on the 19th. Wait, in between the 19th and the 22nd, did she get room service? Did she... they don't I, think she left her room either? They don't know. No oh. one knows. No one saw so, her. There's no camera footage of her in any of these same places. And no they, one, don't, they don't have like the room card system where they record. You know, nothing I read talked record. about any... That's inter- interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, God, is it 2014? You think they might have. Yeah. I would think they would have. I would think they would too. Who knows? Uh, but I didn't read anything about whether they checked if she'd left or come back. Okay. or if and she, But for sure she was not seen with anyone or anywhere. And again, she's wearing the exact same outfit on the 22nd, which is not that unusual. But No. I mean, she probably didn't buy a bunch of different parkas. Probably not. <laughs> Later that morning, this is on the 22nd, 
around 11.30ish or so, or maybe more like noon, the retired RCMP constable named Jessica Real saw Atsumi on the Ingram Trail between Niven Lake and Jack Fish Lake, which is at the north end of Yellowknife. This is the person who would report it five days later. Okay. And by the way, this, this Ingram Trail, I, 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 looking at the map, it looks like this, this is basically a two-lane paved road. It's not some wilderness trail. It's called Highway 4. Oh. <laughs> so it's not, but I mean, it's not a, it's a two-lane, you know, Wayne Choi, right. paved road. I think it takes you out to more, you know, trails that go out into the taiga. But where it was, because some people read like, oh, this is really a lonely, desolate place. No, it's not. It's actually very near. It's just on the northern edge of town. It's like, it's like seven-tenths of a mile, if that, away from her hotel. It's not that far off where she was seen. She, is, she was seen walking away, walking to the north, walking from Yellowknife yeah. toward the wilderness. And it's very close. It's at the outskirts of the town. So she's basically, when she was seen by Jessica Reel, she's about to very soon be out in you know the forest right. area. Hmm. But it is more sparsely developed than where, she, where her hotel is. But that, and that's it. That's the last time anyone saw Atsumi Ever. She real reported this sighting five days later, as I mentioned, when she saw the media coverage. So Atsumi did not return to her hotel that night. It took the hotel, uh, then apparently, it, it took the hotel, uh, you read that it took the hotel three days to realize Atsumi had overstayed her reservation, or maybe she had skipped out without checking out. That's what you read in sources, but then you also read the sources that say she checked in on the 17th and planned on staying a week. So the 24th, when they decided, hey, shouldn't she have checked out? That's just the, the last right. day she was supposed to be there. I mean, she should have checked out at noon, presumably. Yeah. Um, and it was later in the day when they realized she had not checked out. But I, I literally, you read like they took them two days to realize it. I it don't know like how it. the math works in their mind yeah. to say that. I don't know. Huh. It doesn't seem like they did at all. It seemed like they were hours. Right. So I think they're just bad-mouthing Canadian hotel operators, and I, for one, am uh, offended by okay. that. Okay. Okay. So regardless, anyway, the hotel staff found her luggage in her room, still packed, as I mentioned. They called the RCMP, which verified she had not taken her flight back to Japan, which, of course, the hotel would have known because they found her return ticket in her luggage there. Right. So the RCMP begins, they began their air and ground search immediately. They looked everywhere for her. Again, this is taiga country. It's forested. It's these freezing plains. It's just, it's massive. Yeah. It's a huge, 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 much like Alaska and poor Carl McKeon. This is not the kind of place you want to get lost. At least she's very close right. to a, yeah. a, a good sized town. But it's, if you are, if you do get lost out there, it's just a, a humongous place to try to try to have to search. But you see in the map, it's, it's got tons of little lakes everywhere too. Some are tiny, some are big, big, Good-sized legs. One's gigantic. In fact, uh, Yellowknife is on an arm of the Great Slave Lake, which is one of the biggest lakes in the world. Hmm. It's a weird name for a lake. It's a pretty offensive name for a lake, to be honest with you. I think. I don't know what it means. Huh. I don't know the origin of it. Locals went looking, too, for her, by the way. They, they were really drawn to her case. They were worried about her. They hoped she had not been harmed by one of their own while out oh. trekking alone along the trails in the area. Yeah. They also, the weather was turning nastier with every day, so they were really worried about her, and they had it unspoken. They had to understand they're almost certainly looking for a body by right. this point. Were there, uh, what kind of wild animals are there out there? There are bears. There are wolves. I don't know if polar bears get down there or not, but I'm sure there's some kind of bear. I'm totally guessing, but yeah. I, I imagine there's bears and wolves and um, cougar maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Disappearance was big news in Japan. 
Oh, five that. Japanese, media, I think TV stations sent crews there yeah. to cover to Yellowknife. The Canadian coverage wow. was national, and it was blanket. It's a huge story. Huh. City authorities, meanwhile, and I, I suppose even Canadian authorities, they worried that the story could hurt that critical stream of Japanese tourists to the yeah. area. They were not happy about it. So the Calgary Japanese, I'm sorry, the Japanese consulate in Calgary very kindly pointed out that there had been 60,000 Japanese tourists since, 19, since 2008. Yeah. This was 2014. And that Asumi was the first to have gone missing. Oh, so that well, that's good. That's very, good odds. It's very reassuring, yeah. I thought. Conspiracy theories started to spread pretty quickly. Some wondered if she had been murdered by a serial killer. Again, some of the locals <laughs> were a little worried about that. I don't know if there's a known serial killer or something yeah. like that, but some people started to wonder about that or just maybe just attacked as a sort of a crime of opportunity. Yeah. Some also thought the government was covering up her death however it was, especially if it was foul play, because, again, to protect the Japanese tourist trade. Mm-hmm. And the authorities were pretty tight-lipped. They weren't very free with information, but that's typical. Yeah. And some also, as you said, could have wondered if she had been attacked by an animal. Yeah. Others thought maybe, just maybe, she had been killed by a Bigfoot. Well, sure, there's always that. He's kind of a wild animal. Yeah, but I, he's never hurt anyone. I'm telling you. Yes, he's kidnapped a few people. That's true. <laughs> but still, I think I would not have said that. I think that's a smear. Then on November 4th, the Canadian authorities declared an end to the search. They said Japanese police investigating her home in Uto had found evidence that Asumi had, quote, arrived in Yellowknife with a plan to go into the wilderness alone and become a missing person, unquote. Huh? Like a weird statement, isn't it? They're, yeah. Again, they're, they're Kind of evasive, at least initially. She had also, quote, taken steps to avoid detection, unquote, while committing this plan, though they were, again, very light on the details. So they said, you know, we think she knew she went there to become a missing person. What the hell does that mean? And she had, they thought that she had taken steps to avoid being seen or being or having people find out what she was up to. I, apparently, it's yeah. hard to say, it's hard to interpret what they meant by that. I don't know. And again, they, they were not free-flowing information here. Becoming a, like a plan to become a missing person is very oddly worded. Very oddly worded. Almost reminiscent of, again, is Doll Woman, or not Uh Is Doll Woman. The The Peter Bergman. Peter Bergman case, yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that's what they were thinking at the time. And I don't think so. We'll find out in a minute. Okay. Fuji Television, one of the big uh, networks in Japan, they dug out a little more detail into the story, however. They reported that Asumi's brother, Kenji, had been told by the J- Japan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs that his sister had mailed a letter to a friend just before she left for Canada. This female friend reported the letter to the Japanese authorities that he was told that had indicated that Sumi was going to Canada to commit suicide. Oh. It was in this letter. She yeah. stated what she planned on doing. Which is odd, because if she mailed, I don't know how good their postal service is, but if she mailed it before she left... She was there for days further while her friend, presumably, had possession of this letter. Uh So I'm I'm a little confused by that. Though Kenji did believe there was this suicide letter and it was real, I guess he believed the ministry, he and other family members doubted, though, that she had actually committed suicide. The main evidence, evidence, quote-unquote, they pointed to was that she had bought souvenirs, so person going to you know, commit suicide would never buy souvenirs, and that she had bought a round-trip ticket. So she had a return yeah. trip. That was basically, I, it's pretty thin. 
Well, yeah. I mean, you still might do those things to avoid being found out before you carry out your plan. You, you could do you, like the souvenir thing because you're just going to, I mean, your stuff is going to be found in your room. Okay? Yeah, it'd be returned to your, your family. We will get the souvenirs. And in terms of the return ticket, yeah, it may have been not to, to red flag. Yeah. Because a Japanese tourist <laughs> going to buy a round trip ticket. Yeah. Or it may have just been, who cares? I don't need the money. Yeah. And this is just what normal, yeah. I just don't even think about it, in other words. Yeah. Because you would have to explain to exactly. whoever, you know. Unless you're booking online, but if you booked with a travel agency or something. And she did. Yeah. So see, yeah, they would want to know why. Exactly. So I think that's not, and neither of those things is remotely persuasive to me. The brother, Kenji, also admitted that Atsumi had become estranged from her family and that he and her father had not seen her for years. One source I read said like a decade. Oh. This is really, though, apparently it wasn't any kind of falling out. It was just they had sort of lost touch with one another they become distant hmm. which i don't understand because i i read elsewhere that they had previously run the psychiatric clinic together which means presumably they're on, they're on kyushu or even in otu so that's unless i i don't know unless the brother and father had moved away off the island or something like that otherwise they they couldn't have been that far from one yeah. another yeah but anyway, there, it wasn't any kind of enmity there. It was just that they had become pretty distant. Not only did Kenji not believe his sister had committed suicide, he was not even convinced she was actually dead. Hmm. I don't know what his theory was, but he held out hope that she was out there somewhere. Yeah. Fugue State. This would be, this'd be really difficult because you yeah. know, it was blanket national coverage within days of your disappearance. If, if you wandered onto a farm somewhere and they're helping you out, they'd know. Right. That'd be weird. So, but, you know, but yeah. it could have been a purposeful disappearance. Yeah. And well, it sounds like it was. It sounds like the, 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 that could be the interpretation, right, of what the uh, authorities at the RCMP had said. Yeah. Is that maybe she was essentially gone, disappeared herself. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. I don't know. So 10 months. She is missing for 10 months. All throughout that time, by the way, the RSMP continued a search, again, clearly for her body. Yeah. Focusing on areas she used for training exercises. And one thing I read, which I'm not sure what mean, I I don't know what that means exactly, but the RSMP, they had dogs, they had thermal imaging devices. They were trying to find a body. Right. For sure. Jessica Riel, she was the former Mountie who had last seen Atsumi walking north away from Yellowknife. She was pretty remorseful about not having told anyone or did anything. That's a little silly. It is, for sure, but you can see how that would be No, true. sure. Yeah, I would feel bad, too, but it certainly... There was... Okay, how did I not make fun of the noise Carrie just made? Let's play that again. Let's hear that noise. No. Yeah, we're going to hear it right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right? That's weird. Am I wrong? Okay. Anyway. I have no idea what that means. No one does. Back to the show. <laughs> she yeah. had no information that would lead her to believe something bad was going to happen. She wondered if she had done more, if she had talked to her, reported her, you know, something like that. Yeah. At the time, though, she just took her to be a tourist out yeah. seeing the sights and did not look lost. She didn't look distressed. Real said, quote, she looked like she was sightseeing, and it was close to zero. It wasn't freezing cold, and her pink coat—her <laughs> pink coat was knee-length, and she had on mitts and a hat. She was dressed for that temperature. Oh 
my god! I mean, only in northern Canada, where the temperatures are close to zero. This is Celsius. That's, that's literally freezing. freezing. So, uh, would that be just a shrug? So you know, no yeah. big deal. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't zero. Uh. You're out walking alone, oh, in toward the wilderness, <laughs> away from this small town in the vast Northwest Territories. That's uh, uh. that's Canada. Still, it, it bothered real. Quote: I yeah. I just felt terrible. I didn't sleep much that night. We talked about it at work the next day and how important it is to listen to that little voice on your shoulder. I will always wonder what happened or if I had stopped, if it would have made the difference in any way. Yeah, she, you're okay. It's okay, Jessica. It's I hope she's listening. She probably is. I hope she doesn't feel too bad still. Now she doesn't because we just assuaged Good. her. Okay. Some wondered if she was really trying to kill herself or perhaps seeking some kind of cathartic near-death experience. In other words, she really wasn't, didn't want to die. Yeah. She just wanted to kind of mostly die, almost die. Was she, quote, testing fate? This is what a, a psychiatric professor at the University of Ottawa, he wondered about that. He okay. wrote about that. Like, almost like you're hoping to be rescued after a kind of temporary death. Uh, this, this, this going into the jaws of death. Yeah. And then pull, being pulled back or pulling back and not dying and having this this wonderful experience. He, is that a thing? I, I, he says it is. Huh. I don't know. See, I would think that maybe along the lines of doing something very risky, like going cliff diving or skydiving or, you know. Bungee jumping. Skiing or, way, you know. So fun. Something, something risky yes. where there's a good chance I could die. You know what I mean? Nah. And then not dying. Sure. But sure. not going, seem off, going off into the wilderness. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> I mean, different. And I think he tied that to more Japanese culture, too, as opposed to sort of universal. Yeah. I think, okay. if I read it right. Uh, August 31st, 2015, again, a little more than 10 months after her disappearance, a hiker found some items in the forest north of the Ingram Trail area in North Yellowknife, mm -hmm. or north of Yellowknife, and it was not too far from where she had last been seen. Was one of those a pink parka? The RCMP would not identify what the oh. items were, but well, darn. they were convinced they, they had belonged to Atsumi. Okay. They were hers, so probably. Yeah. Sadly, the hiker who found the items out there in the forest, also found what appeared to be human remains. Oh, okay. Skeletal human remains. In you April, mean skeletal. Uh, <laughs> in April 2016, so a few months later, DNA testing matched the remains with Atsumi Yoshikubo. Northwest Territory's Chief Coroner Kathy Menard said test of bone fragments against Atsumi's DNA were absolutely conclusive. There were also two notes left near the remains. Oh. One was a suicide note, so a more overt suicide note that was addressed uh -huh. to family and friends. Mm -hmm. The other was found with the items, I guess, I don't know, pinned to them or next to the items, and was described by Menard as, quote, it included how much she loved the North, how much she loved Yellowknife, how much she loved the Aurora, she expressed her wishes about wanting to be buried here. Huh. And the case was closed with that. Sure. So what happened to Itsumi? I mean, right? It seems pretty clear that she did travel to yeah. Canada to commit suicide. She likely just 
kept walking after she was seen that by Jessica Rail, she probably just kept walking for a while, found a nice spot, cut into the, just cut off the road into yeah. the forest, uh, found, a, a, I don't know, a private place to lie down and, and let the cold come claim her and yeah. just fall asleep effectively. Uh, I assume it snows. Yes. Yeah, so, so this is April. I mean, I'm sorry, it was August when it was found. My guess is she was probably snowed over. Her yeah. body was snowed over. And then in the thaw, right. they found her in the summer. Yeah. And it's just happenstance. That I, I don't know how far it was off the road. Nothing I read said exactly how far, but she's, she walked into the forest to die. And died. Yeah, yeah. The theory that she, some people have theorized that though she was dumped by a killer. And her, she was murdered and dumped by a killer. That's just... Who wrote a suicide note to her yeah. family, which I'm assuming they can corroborate that they can. she had written. Like, and, and conspiracy so. theorists say, oh, no one's ever found that letter to the, to the friend that she wrote before she left. Because the, the, you don't the, need to see it. Yeah. They're not releasing it. Yeah. Dumb, dumb. It's just internet trolls <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to invent more, trying to invent a more convenient truth from their need to sensationalize every mystery. That's exactly what it is. Just calm yeah. down. This is fairly clear. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating case, I think, but in terms of what the actual outcome was. It's fascinating it's in no terms question. of human behavior. Yeah. More than any, you know. Yeah, well, at I the mean, time, remember, for 10 months, though, it was an, an amazing mystery. Yeah. What happened to her? Where did she go? What did she wind up? Yeah. Did she really commit suicide? Was she killed? Was she murdered? Was she, did, was she just disappeared herself? That's a, it was a legit mystery there for about 10 months. But once yeah. the body was found and the DNA said, okay, yeah, it's her, we're done here. Or, or it was a radioactive Bigfoot. And <laughs> if so, I have done this case a disservice. Yeah. Because I really should have played up the bullshit. Mm-hmm. So that's the story. Well, rest in peace. Yep. We don't know. The, the other spo- so-called mysteries that people will talk about is like, why, why, why? Okay. Same people, anyone else. The same reason anyone else does. In terms yeah, of why exactly. she did it in that method, who knows? Yeah. Like I said, she, she, she loved said, it. She loved it. Yeah. She wanted to be buried there, and that's why. Yeah. So She wasn't super close with her family anymore? No. Yeah. She, apparently, like I said, I think she was frustrated career-wise, apparently yeah. it looked like. So it's not... It's, it's just sad that she got to that sad. point, especially as a psychiatrist yeah. which you know but also probably not all that uncommon i don't know i have, I have no statistics for I you mean, on that people in the mental health field have just as much chance of having mental health issues as anybody else you are almost certainly correct carrie <laughs> so that is a story that is the second half of our Episode on strange things that happen to tourists. Not, not going to call it that because that's lame. Yeah, not stuff. quite as maddening as the first one was to me. Oh, that was yeah, that was uh, yeah. just unbelievable. Just say when you're going to come back. <laughs> that's all I ask, Carl. <laughs> but at least he was great, though. Yeah, I was awesome about it. Like, ah, oh, I'm going to kick myself <laughs> and I'm going to die. I'm going to start it after that's that's what you get, Carl. Damn you. Okay. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Carrie. And thank you, listeners, for listening. That's a good segue. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Tell them the stuff. Weird World Podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach me if you feel like it. God, the and way you say that is just so creepy, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> so that's how you can reach me, guys. I mean, anyone. Although I might miss your email because I get a lot of email that I don't. I don't, I don't, don't finish that <laughs> sentence. What are you saying? Oh, no. I, that, I'm thinking of my personal email. Okay, never mind. Don't send me a note at my personal email because <laughs> no, I might not see it. Uh, she, but I'll see, I'll see the Weird World She stuff. wants you to say. And then uh, Weird World Podcast 
at uh, Facebook and Instagram and Patreon and World Weird World Pod on Twitter. And I'll tweet this. I hope, maybe, I can't guarantee it. Okay. Thanks that's for it. listening. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>